arable, dairy, bean, sheep, pigs, chickens, and perhaps even alpacas. Are you looking for the best agri-advice from the real specialists? Look no further. The agri podcast from Wednesday is the home of Talking Agriculture, the surefire way to keep you in the know and your farms in the best health. Each month, one of the Wednesday specialists will share their pools of wisdom, answering your questions and giving practical top tips which are easy to maintain and quick to follow to support the profitability of your farm or agribusiness. Don't forget to like and subscribe now on your podcast platform of choice. Welcome to the fifth episode of the Wednesday AgriHub podcast, the home of talking agriculture, keeping you on the inside line of all things agricultural. We're very excited to welcome all our listeners to our latest way of sharing ideas, updates and new thoughts around the key issues facing farmers day in and day out across our podcast episodes. We'll be discussing everything from livestock matters to crop health and much, much more. Today, we will be delving into the subject of post-weaned heifers, and how we can ensure they are achieving their potential through targeted nutrition plans and looking into the data behind our advice. Joining me today are two specialists in the calf and youngstock world. Firstly, Sammy Howarth, one of Wednesday's talented calf and youngstock specialists, will be here to share her knowledge from the coalface of calf rearing systems and her understanding of the importance of setting clear goals and getting things right. Joining Sammy and myself is Mike Van Amber, a professor in the Department of Animal Science at Cornell University in the USA. Mike teaches multiple courses and leads the Cornell Dairy Fellows Programme. He advises approximately 50 undergraduate students and is advisor to the Cornell University Dairy Science Club. He has authored and co-authored over 100 journal articles and many conference proceedings and is the recipient of several awards. So welcome both to the Agri-Hub podcast. I have a feeling this is going to be a great one. Hi, Tony. Hey, Tony. Hi, Sammy. Hi. Thanks for the invite. You're welcome. So where do we start? How about at the beginning? Sammy, before we look into post-weaned calves, can we take a step back and talk about calves pre-weaning? Yes, of course, Tony. Um, I guess that pre-weaning phase in in sort of calf rearing has had a huge amount of progress in the last 10 years or so. Um, Farmers would be typically feeding these pre-weaned animals uh, far better quality, higher quantities uh, of consistently mixed milk. Um, As an industry, I guess, it's it's now well recognised that high-performing healthy calf then goes on to be a high-performing healthy adult. Um, And I guess the stronger this link has become, through research um the the greater we see it as a worthwhile investment in terms of our time and management in this phase in normal circumstances i would be out visiting farmers day to day um, and i would regularly see them weighing calves uh, from birth to weaning they'd be tracking their health status uh, they'd have their own treatment record the farmers would know daily live weight gains um, that they're currently achieving and also those that they're aiming towards uh, which which is really great to see but then we get sort of this weaning age and and these sort of measurements drop off uh, so the, I guess the animals become a little bit harder to weigh they're a little bit more awkward to move around um, and and they're just not kept track of the same so I guess it's the group maybe between sort of four months and 24 months that would 
I don't know if you would call it sort of a lost in the system group where we obviously would check in in on them for service um but in terms of monitoring their growth performance it generally lacks lacks a little bit uh farms would know their age at first calving but it's just that stage of how we got there um and i i think after doing such a good job pre-weaning nowadays um it's important that we keep track of these animals to make sure that they really make the most of that that phase would you agree with that mike yeah, Sammy, I think that's a really good point. To, to me, this is a, it's a system, and the system starts at birth. It actually starts before birth, right? But we don't need to go back there today. But mm-hmm. but yeah, once what but your point is well taken that once we establish that growth, you know that we've learned we've learned how to feed the calf better. We're coming up with better weaning diets. We're facilitating better weaning. But then you know, which means we're more proactive in our decision making process. But it is, um, it becomes a little more passive, it seems like, you know, um, in in management after we wean them, even though we know that there's certain benchmarks that the heifer should be achieving. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that makes it a little bit harder to to optimize both growth and milk production because we're a little more, I don't know if it's passive or just we don't have the data, right? Yeah, certainly. And I think during this sort of post weaning period i see a lot of different diets on farms different um forages available i guess and farmers adapt to what is there um which personally i i think is fine if if we're actually doing the analysis on this silage if we're supplementing it um appropriately for what targets we're hitting i guess my concern over this period is is that we're not always quite sure what our intakes are we're not always quite sure what our daily live weight gains are <laughs> on the back of it um so it's certainly a an area for improvement in my in my opinion i, I yeah i would agree with that I, I think um so the way we approach that and and um this has been a long journey <laughs> of trying to figure this out but you know and some of this we borrowed from the beef industry um we started to look at uh, at the herd as its own um system and then we look at the mature size of the herd, right? Mm-hmm. What is the mature size of the cow in the herd? And in New York, um, you know, we'll see mature Holsteins in certain herds be around 650 kilos. But we've got herds in New York where the mature size of the Holsteins are 800 to 900 kilos, right? Yeah. They're big cows, uh, too big, actually. But but that means that the age at first calving, if you want to maintain the age at first calving, those body weights have to be different at each of the benchmarks, right? So if you're going mm-hmm. to get them pregnant or start getting them pregnant around 55% of the mature size and have them definitely pregnant by 65% of the mature size, that's going to be different for a, you know, a 650 kilo size herd versus a 900 kilo size herd, right? Yeah, and, and yeah, that's why that information needs to, you know, that's that's where we have to be more proactive about you know, where, what are we trying to achieve with our growth? Because it may not be the same for every herd. Yeah, certainly. And I, I do think, you know, age at first calving, typically on farms, most of the progressive farms, I would say, are are actually hitting what, what they want to hit. You know, they're getting to 24 months and even some down to 22 months. Um, but, you know, for me, it's those lost opportunities along the way, which I know you've looked into with your smear research mark in terms of um 
what are we missing out on so if we'd have done a better job during that period could we get more from that heifer as she comes into into a lactation yeah so that comes back to the benchmarks um so so there's a there's two side there's two aspects to that that point you just made sammy one of them is is how how good are we at identifying that breeding weight? Yeah, they're they're more obvious, right? Because they've just come into puberty and now they're going to stand for heat. So now it's you know they're kind of telling us, hey, I'm I'm here and <laughs> I'm ready. That doesn't mean that we've actually identified the appropriate breeding weight yet, you know, because again we're we're kind of doing that passively and we're letting them, you know, kind of dictate to us that they're they're sexually mature, um, you know. But getting that right means that that we all have you know, once they're pregnant, we've all got the same nine months. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so now getting to that next growth objective, really actually, no matter your mature size, isn't that hard because the variability and the breeding weight should have occurred at that point, right? Because if you're going to be a 900 kilo mature size herd, you're going to be a little bit heavier at that, that 60%. If you're smaller, you're going to be a little bit lighter. And now the trajectory out to calving is the same. Right. And that so so there's two things there. Getting that done, tightening up that breeding window so we have a small distribution on the age at first calving. And that's important because we know that the younger calving animals actually have the greatest herd life. Mm -hmm. And and those of us Tony and I who are getting older now, right? <laughs> uh, we can still work a long day, but we're not gonna work as in intensively as we did when we were 20 to 30 right tony yeah <laughs> <laughs> so so but that just says that younger animals right are more they're more productive because they're just younger and they stick around and they all if you look at, at at herd life they tend to leave the herd at about the same time so if you calve them younger that is just that extra time to get in why which is why getting them pregnant at the right time and, and decreasing that window in age at first calving gets to be really important because you do pick up some milk there. And it also has a, a positive impact on the number of heifers you have to raise because now your inventory can decrease a little bit because you're bringing them in earlier, right, to maintain your herd size. So there's, a, there's an economic benefit to that. Yes. That, um, that depends on getting them to 55% body weight at, at that age, though. You, you, that's right. You, you can't still can't calve them too small, can you? Otherwise, they're not gonna. Yeah, that's that, that's a yeah. That's the small thing, the size thing, Tony. Is one. I think that's we as humans tend to anthropomorphize because we like birthdays, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and cows have birthdays, but their response is more their physiological response is more based on percent mature size, right? They'll hit puberty at 42% mature size. And we need to have at least three ester cycles before we start to get them pregnant. And if you're, if you do enough weighing and you do enough systems work, you'll find out that that 42% to 55% is about three ester cycles, right, for for normal wow. growth, right. Yeah. And that's enough to mature everything to the point where now they're ready um, to be pregnant. Um Mike, would you have sort of a lower cutoff line in terms of age? So I know some people are sort of creeping towards 21 months. Would you say that's very much calving at 21 months of age? Would you say that is the the very bottom, or would you go younger if you can get them to the right size? No, I you know I I know we can go younger, 
but I'm not going to advocate that to the dairy industry because the level of intensity of management that's necessary to make that work is yeah. really high. Uh, we've done it in our own herd. Some of our best performing heifers have been those that calved at 20 months mm-hmm. in our own research herd, right? And we've, yeah. I, you know, I, I still refer to one of my, one of the heifers that I had on a study. She calved at 20 months and made 36,000 pounds of milk, right? So she was, uh, <laughs> wow. you know, she's yeah. 13, you know, 12 and a half, 13,000 kilos. So she was flying, right? And it's not, she was a little bit unusual, but we, again, it, it, we've had some really high performing heifers calve early, but on average, I would say 21 is probably about as low as we should go in any Holstein herd right now. Um, and, and again, in a podcast, we're not going to get into all the, the where's and why fours about that. But uh, yeah, 22 months, our, our best herds, our most progressive herds in the U.S. are 21 to 22. Yeah, but that would strictly be at, at the percentage of the body weight, the mature body weight that you're aiming for. Well, we're trying, yeah. right? That's still mm-hmm. one of their, that's still one of their, I say, hiccups, right? Because yeah. they'll, they'll do really well up until breeding. And then once they get them pregnant, they kind of, again, this laissez-faire, you know, hands off. I'm just going to put them in a facility 10 miles from here, deliver feed to them. And as long as they're on <laughs> all four legs, they're okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but no, and that's, I think that's the key. You know, we want to have them calve at 82% of their mature size, right? No yeah. matter what the average mature size is of the herd, you want to be 82% because that's the body weight that, that minimizes the amount of nutrients that go towards growth and allows them to optimize milk. And uh, anything below that means they're going to prioritize nutrient use for growth over lactation. So it's not that they're not going to make milk. It's just a lost opportunity. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. And I think that's maybe what some of, some of these people forget maybe they get them in calf they get them to calve down early they're producing milk early you know which is great but if if they could be producing much more milk <laughs> having been got the right size um that energy will be directed to milk production right and, you know in our in our herds when we do those calculations in the in the in the dairy fellows program it's an experiential learning program and we actually do case studies right they'll, mm-hmm. they'll learn about repro and nutrition and stuff like that facilities they also take a lot of economics classes but when we go to the dairies we 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 dissect this whole thing and we feed back to the owners right we do this in 24 to 48 hours and they have to make this full report back to the owners and the her and the management team 20 two of 21 or 22 of 25 or 26 herds i can't remember the exact numbers have had this problem right where we go out and we actually do some weight assessments of the herd to figure out you know what's your productivity look like and and again a lot of these farms just like you're talking about in the uk there they've done a really nice job up to pregnancy and then they kind of become passive in that and they're coming in at you know 74 percent of mature size or 72 percent of mature size mm-hmm. uh, which means that they've got quite a bit of growth to do and that that can be five you know in some of those herds that's been five to six kilos of milk per day that they're not realizing yeah that's huge mm-hmm. yeah and we can show them that right if you do the the record analysis correctly Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the mar, you know, so that you think about that margin, you got 40% of your herd is first lactation and you're missing maybe, you know, let's say we could even be, you know, more conservative and say you're missing three kilos of milk a day on 40% of your herd. 
Mm-hmm. Well, that's there's there's quite a margin there, right? Because it's yeah. that last that last liter of milk you make that you make the most money on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I guess I I always think as well maybe as a knock-on effect. Um, I'm not sure if you'll have the same issues over there, but a lot of the farms that I would deal with wouldn't always have necessarily a specific heifer group. So a smaller animal then goes into the herd um, where she's sort of to fight for a feed and to fight for a bed. Um, and maybe that knocks her back also. So the stress load on top of the the energy deficiency, I guess, is, yep. is added. Yeah, no, no, that's um, in our system. You know, again, and this is uh, Larry Chase, who's now retired out of our department, was a, our, our long-standing uh, extension nutritionist. And years ago, Larry and I would get into these discussions, and he managed to get out to a few herds. That's one of the, this is this is like 25 years ago, and we had herds that had done just that. The herds were growing, no separate, no separate uh, heifer group, and. Um, one of the first things that we were able to get done in a few of these herds, you know, these are herds that went from 200 to 500 cows or 500 to a thousand cows. All right. So, but, but that was a lot of social pressure mm-hmm. removing those heifers from that competition yielded um, about four to five liters of milk a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, it was really significant and it was like almost automatic. Just by taking the pressure off. Yeah. yeah. Just so they didn't have to compete. Uh, with with everybody and then trying to make a diet that was specific to their their body weight their requirements and things like that because that once you moved them now you could refine your diet because you know if if a high producing lactating cow mature cow is going to consume 24 kilos of feed a day maybe that heifer can only consume 18 right and and maybe in that 24 kilo package you can't fit all those nutrients that she might need but you could do it in an 18 kilo package, right? Mm-hmm. So there's there's all of those subtleties at play there. Yeah. What, one other thing that just popped into my mind, and I, I want to bring this up because it plays into this age, that weight at first calving. I'll come back to age because we, we get caught up on age just because it seems easy, right? We know a birth date. We know when we got a pregnant. We know when they calve. But it's really the body weight that dictates that um, that performance. The third trimester pregnancy, um, this is a really big point. Up The first two trimesters of pregnancy, here's another place where the passive management's probably biting us a little bit in the butt about, um, you know, where we're losing out. Um, the first two trimesters of pregnancy, the, the fetal development really doesn't take much nutrients. But you hit that third trimester from 191 days to calving, um, that's where birth weight comes from, right? The, the fetus mm-hmm. is about the size of a, a baseball, right? And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden it's going to be, you know, 35 kilos or 40 kilos. That period uh, is where I see a lot of our, our best herds here in the U.S. really falling down. This is probably what precipitates more of the problem with body weighted calving than anything else that goes on because they don't have to grow that fast in general. It's not hard to make a diet for that that early pregnancy heifer, right? You can give them pretty average forages, don't have to give her any grain, give her a few vitamins and minerals just to kind of go along with it and just move on. But once you hit that third trimester, now all of a sudden there's about a 20 to 30% increase in nutrient requirements just 
on, on an overall basis just to meet the fetal requirements. And I, mm-hmm. I've seen growth rates, expected growth rates, formulated growth rates go from a kilo a day down to about 0.5 kilos a day. Yeah. And what and what we know is that mom is not mom will will I, I don't like the word sacrifice, but mom is going to partition her nutrients towards the fetus because she's going to do everything she can to keep that fetal growth going and she's just going to slow down her growth. And mm-hmm. we see that a lot, right? And uh because it's hard nutrition modifying pregnancy uh, the weight at calving, right? Or not the not the weight at calving, but the birth weight um is really hard but but mom will partition her nutrients towards fetal growth and not grow herself and that's where we lose that that last three months is where we lose a lot of opportunity because we don't have a pregnant heifer group and i guess that's so important on a lot of farms but if they physically don't have the two separate groups it's just not possible um but maybe it's it's a point worth thinking about for these farms yeah the facilities are really hard Mm -hmm. But but finding a way to supplement, right, even a top dress on a grain, there's any way to top dress those particular animals for that period without having to reconstruct everything that would be useful. But that's yeah. where we see a lot of herds here falling down is that they they just don't uh, that that third trimester period is uh, is really what's dragging them down. So, Mike, how do you balance that against the risk of um, calves being born too large and causing calving difficulties? Uh, great question. There's very little evidence, Tony, of us being able to manipulate birth weight through nutrition. Okay. It's 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 really really hard to do, and it's only done at certain extremes. You can do it under cold wet, really cold weather conditions, or you can do it under really heat stress conditions. But generally, just you know, day in and day out stuff that we do with our animals, we're not really influencing that. What we do though, the inverse of that is. If we don't feed those heifers adequately for both fetal development and growth and mom slows down, it gives you the appearance of a large birth weight because mom didn't grow enough and you've got a smaller <laughs> birth canal. Right. Right. And, that, and we, so we associate that with, gee, we fed these heifers to have these big calves. No, not at all. The calf is probably the same size it was going to be. The problem is we didn't feed mom to grow fast enough to be able to facilitate the birth <laughs> Of that what would be a normal size calf okay and if she's not in good condition i would suspect that her colostrum quality wouldn't be as good as it potentially could be for that calf oh yeah i you know that's an awesome observation sammy i uh <laughs> I, you know with covid i'm not getting to do this but a few years ago i did a I did a series of workshops um one of them in denmark it was mostly with a bunch of high-end vet- or really good veterinarians and a few nutritionists. Um, I did one in Sweden. I did one in the UK somewhere. I can't remember where we were. My, well, my, my, might not have been in the UK. Might have been in Ireland. Anyhow, <laughs> don't want to mess that one up. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but the, the point the point was no. Your point's well taken. Um, they had put. The heifers, and here was an here's another one of these things that just can be a strike against us. A heifer is not a dry cow, mm-hmm. right? But so the idea of putting these heifers with a high growth demand into a dry cow diet, especially these Goldilocks diets, right? High straw, high fill, 
low nutrient density stuff because we want to you know moderate insulin resistance and adiposity and things like that um we saw a bunch of these heifers a little bit undersized going into these uh goldilocks style diets and i told this i told this group i says i will only come over and do these case studies if we can go to a different dairy every day and do it as a case study yeah. right and, mm-hmm. and use the diets right so and they they agreed to that they thought it was a little weird at first but when i was done <laughs> they were really happy every one of the dairies the first or second comment from the herd owner or herd manager was man our heifers are calving and having a hard time we don't get good startup milks so they're not making any colostrum mm-hmm. You know, and you ask them, how's the colostrum in the rest of the herd? Well, it's kind of so-so. I'm, I'm, I'm not really doing as well as I was. What was a high-fill diet? Not very high energy, not balanced for metabolizable protein. So even the cows were suffering. But you put the heifers yeah. in that condition. The complete no, opposite of what no, <laughs> yeah, no colostrum. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. a complete opposite mm-hmm. of what they needed. No colostrum. Yeah. And uh, parturition problems. Uh, low startups, yeah, because they're still a growing animal. They they don't need all that stuff that we're trying to do to a dry cow. <laughs> yeah, they've never, they've never been through that cycle before. Yeah, I guess yeah. when you sort of think of it logically, you know, putting this out there to farmers, it makes so much sense. You know, this animal is still growing. We're then asking it to grow a, a calf inside of it and produce milk. Um, but sort of on the farm, it's a group of animals that are coming up to calve that we put in this pen and we check them for calving every day you know and maybe it's just, <laughs> just that mental separation of, of the different groups yeah no it's it's, it's hard because it's not the way you're right we we tend to be chore oriented right here's yeah. my calving pen here's how yeah. i do this here's how i do this and and I think that's the the thing about uh, you know when you get into this I this concept about post weaning heifers what do we have to do or how should we think about it well we have to think about their requirements specifically at each stage of growth and then how does that influence their productivity in the herd mm-hmm. right and yeah. it means I think as we refine this this our information and our management it means that we're economically it's a little bit of a trick right how do i create these pens and how do i do this but at the same time we know biologically that that that's what we should be doing it's like how do we facilitate it yeah and so i guess on on farm like i i do preach <laughs> some of these things about about weighing these heifers <laughs> regularly um uh, and most of the time it will be the same the same sort of barriers if you will so um the cost of scales maybe the cost of time the cost of uh, having a, a race set up that they need to invest in um from what we've discussed today there's there is a hell of a lot of benefits of having this what would your recommendation be in terms of how regularly we weigh these animals or monitor these animals yeah you know, there is a practical side to this, and I recognize that. Um, you know, I, I tell people now you don't really need – well, first of all, if there's – I think there's a there's a myriad of things we could do, right? There's really practical, simple things, right? One of the most practical, simple things you could do is that there are some really good weigh tapes out there that have mm-hmm. been calibrated to a modern cow. Um, and you do a little bit of research, and you can find those. You spend a little bit more for them. It's not the freebie that you probably get from your AI guy, but it might be um, you might have to spend ten bucks or, or a few pounds on it. But um, you know, get get a few kids to come in and just you know, once every few months, just 
throw some weight tapes around, you know, 10 to 15% of the animals in a pen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And just get, just understand what they are and, and then have them plotted out. You know, Excel's real easy. Anybody can do that. Just, you know, where are we going? Do we, are we, do we have a positive line or do we have a flat line or do we have a negative line on some of these animals? Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, 10, 10 to 15% of the animals in a pen would usually be enough just to give you an indicator that doesn't take that long. You can put them in a headlock or things like that. The mm-hmm. other thing we've done in some areas, you know, in New York, we have Pro Dairy, which is kind of regional extension. Oh, the pers- some of the personnel have turned over, but we we actually bought some portable scales mm-hmm. for for regions, yeah. right? And 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 we let people borrow them, right? I had a nutritionist call me up one day and say, Hey, I want to go weigh some some of the animals in these herds that I manage, you know. I'm willing to buy the scales. And I says, no, we've, we've already got a set of scales. Just drag them around. So, so not everybody has to have one, right? Yeah, yeah buy one that for an area. Mm-hmm. Buy one for a region. Um, so, so I think there's lots of ways to do that. If you if you weighed animals, you know, three or four, if you weighed them three times a year, just as some, just for some feedback, right? Some yeah. diagnostic, are we meeting our benchmarks? Because, you know, because those benchmarks become obvious, right? Mm-hmm. If you've got that information, if you say, I want all my animals to calve at 22 months and I have a 700 kilo mature size. Well, then your math's real easy, right? You're going to go back. You're going to go back nine months and say, I need to be 55 mm-hmm. to percent of that 700. And now you've got your time. You know? And then you go back to weaning and you say, well, I want them to be twice the birth weight at weaning. Well, between there yeah. and pregnancy, now have your growth rate dictated for you. You know, how close are you coming to those metrics? So, so I, I, I think there's ways to do it. Um, you know, one of the ways we think about it here is is we try to drag along. You know, I'm using funny words about that, but I, you know, it's kind of like pulling everybody along and going the same direction, right? Like rowing a boat. But, you know, how do we bring how do we bring profit teams together to be able to have this, right? So a lot of our more progressive herds now have a profit team, you know, the vet, the nutritionist, the agronomist, the CAFO planner, um, the, the, the lender will sit down with the herd owner maybe once a month. Mm-hmm. We're all going in the same direction, that kind of. Yeah. yeah. And, you, and you say, OK, where are we missing data where we can't make decisions? And out of those groups, right, everybody's coming at this from a different perspective. Well, they, they bring the technology along or they bring the labor along for to figure out how to facilitate some of this. And again, it's not like you're going to weigh the whole herd, but you're just going to get some numbers so you can you know, put some financials to it. Because in the end, this is all financial decision making. Right? It's just mm-hmm. based on biology. Yeah. And I, I think like you said earlier, the um you can work out how many heifers you're going to need long term. And I guess if, if you're more confident that these heifers are going to be served at the right time, carved down at the right time, they're going to be milking for you, you know, then you can make the decision right back at service as to whether you needed more heifers or whether you could maybe put them to a beef animal and have have the profit on the farm sort of split. Yes. Yeah. Well, that, that that that's a little. I wasn't ready for that dimension. Yeah, but, the, <laughs> <laughs> but the sex. No, that's okay. But the sex semen selected breeding. Now we have a lot of herds doing that now. A tremendous amount of herds doing that. But that puts more pressure on the herd owner to actually understand the performance of those animals. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Because all of a sudden you're saying I'm only going to select dairy replacements from the top 50 percent of my herd or whatever number they choose. Yeah. Right. Well, then that has to be the, the pre weaning calf that was never treated with antibiotics. Right. That never got sick or rarely got sick. The animal that weaned well, the animal that's, that's having this kind of growth. I don't I don't want the poorest producing animals, the one that we're going to take all of our replacements from. All right, and I we've got a we've got a dairy. Um, I, I won't name names, but there's a really progressive dairy in Wisconsin, and he, he weighs. He actually gave up. He gave up on some of the genomics decision making, um, and looks at parent averages. But then what he does is he looks at his, uh, his he looks at weight gain up to four or five months, mm-hmm. and he weighs everything. And if there are two standard deviations below the mean, he sells them to the neighbors. Wow. Right. That's and, nice and that's how he to be in. Yeah. And that's how but that's how he makes his selection process. And, and but what that's done for him, he goes, Mike, it's getting harder because as I do this, I get better at the management. <laughs> and I don't I don't have that kind of variation anymore. So now I have to start making different decisions. Reduce right. The diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, his so neighbors there's, there's, get worse. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he doesn't sell them directly to the neighbors, but they go to the auction barn and somebody buys them. Yeah. On the topic of uh, mobile weighing, um, a thought that was going through my mind as you were talking about that is over here, a lot of heifers are grazed out on pasture through the summer. Um, so they kind of get forgotten, if you like. But but when you think about it, Sammy, it's fair to say a lot of them would be got in for putting fly control products on or wormed so if they had a mobile way they could weigh them while they're doing that couldn't they at least they'd be monitored a bit more frequently then yeah absolutely um to be honest only even if they got weighed at turnout and bring him back in it would probably be more than but um yeah certainly you know many would be brought back in at some point or handled at some point um i guess it wouldn't always be practical but season on season you would see you'd see whether you are getting the performance from them or whether they need supplementation i guess we we we, it's we've done very similar things tony where we we drag a drag the scales out into the pasture where they you know they were going to run them through a chute anyhow Mm -hmm. so as they're running them into the chute we would get them get a weight on them Well, that, that was a fascinating discussion, Mike and Sammy. Uh, we'll definitely get you both back on again sometime soon if you're, uh, if you're willing to come along. Uh, thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thanks, Tony. We'll be back with more news, insight, chat and tips on the Wednesday team in a month's time. So don't forget to like and subscribe to the AgriHub podcast now so you're the first one to know when the next episode lands. If you want any advice or practical know-how in the meantime, just visit our website and we'd be happy to help. Until next time, thank you for tuning in and we look forward to welcoming you again soon.